So please do turn with me now in the book of Psalms to Psalm 119. Last week we covered basically half of a verse. And, and somebody did come up to me and say, we'll be in Psalm 119 for an awful long time if that's the pace we cover. We're going to go back to an eight, eight verse per sermon pace here for a few weeks. We may stop again in a couple months just to, to focus on something, but we'll go back to our normal pace so that we're not here for the next 19 years in this one Psalm, but uh, just for the next few months. But we are in Psalm 119, beginning in verse 25. Hear these words that God has given to us. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I recounted my ways and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Let me understand the teaching of your precepts. Then I will meditate on your wonders. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, O Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the paths of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we ask one more time for the illumination of the Holy Spirit as we look at this passage today. Open our hearts to hear your truth and to be changed by the glory of that truth. Open our ears so that we can hear your good news and open our eyes so that we might see you in this passage. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So I'll not ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have been sad before? For whatever reason. How many of you have struggled with sadness? Now, I did not ask for a show of hands because I know about half of you would have shot your hands straight up in the air and the men would have sat there with their arms folded because we're not going to admit we're sad. But the truth is, all of us at some point in our lives have, are, or will deal with sadness. And many times it becomes a deep and abiding sadness that seems to cling to us and we just can't shake it. Oftentimes when we deal with sadness, we are directed to places like John 11, 35, and we're reminded that Jesus wept. Jesus was sad at the loss of his friend, and that's a good thing to know that Jesus knows the struggles and the fears and the sadnesses that we carry with us. Other times we are sent to places like Philippians 4 where Paul says, rejoice. I'll say it again, rejoice. Those aren't the only things that Scripture gives us when we are sad. Our our passage today, the psalmist is dealing with a deep, deep sadness. And in the midst of that sadness, he finds that he is called to prayerfully and humbly pursue Holiness according to God's word, even as he is dealing with his sadness. In our first four verses today, we will look at the sadness. We will look that he calls from the depths of sorrow. And in the last four verses, we'll find the freedom that the psalmist finds even in the midst of that sorrow. So our passage opens up with this declaration, I am laid low in the dust. And then we have a, a, a similar declaration in, in verse 28 where he says that my soul is weary with sorrow. 
The picture here is that the psalmist is weighed down by the the heaviness of this sadness that has landed upon his soul. Verse 25 and 28 are linked by the word soul, although in the NIV it's translated life in verse 25 and then soul in verse 28. It's the same word that links these two verses together for us, showing the depth of the sorrow that the psalmist is experiencing. In verse 28, he says that his soul is weary with sorrow. Literally, it says, my soul has melted, has turned to liquid because I am so weary and sorrowful. What is the source of this weariness or sorrow? We, we find clues to that in the word dust in verse 25. Dust is a picture of at least two things in the Old Testament. In Genesis 3.19, God tells Adam that he was created from dust and to dust he will return. Dust reminds us that death is a large part of the human life. It always looms on the horizon. It is always lurking in the shadows, reminding us that one day we will all come to that end. Many times as you and I get older, we feel the weight of death's shadow more and more. There's a temptation to fear and sadness sadness as we plod our way toward that death. Sadness over regrets. Sadness over lost opportunities. Sadness over broken relationships. Death reminds us that we are finite and that finiteness hovers over our head like a sword on a fraying string. But death doesn't just mean physical death. It can be the death of relationships as as relationships are broken through betrayal. It can be the death of expectations as we make plans and, and, and set goals for our lives and fall short, sometimes far short of those plans and those goals. It's the death of our expectations as well. And as we think about that aspect of dust, it will bring great sorrow to us, many Many uh, counselors and psychologists think that depression is rooted in the loss of goals and expectations. You set a goal for your life and you fall far short of it and a sadness sinks in. We've all suffered the sadness of loss or the sadness of betrayal. And we feel that deeply. In Jonah 3 verse 6, we see the other aspect of dust in excuse me, the Old Testament, where we read of the Ninevite king after he heard the message of Jonah, the the shortest sermon in all of the Old Testament, repent or Nineveh will be destroyed. And then he gave the benediction. The king says, when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. To show his godly sorrow over his sins and the sin of Nineveh, he put on what is essentially in our day burlap, scratchy, itchy, uncomfortable clothing, sat in the dust and covered himself with dust and ashes to debase and humiliate himself to show to God that there was a great sorrow in his heart over the fact that he was a sinner in need of a savior. It's a picture of repentance. You and I are called to repent of our sins. And oftentimes 
We make that repentance look like just a laundry list of God, forgive me for A, B, C, D, E, and F. And we turn and we go and we put ourselves right back in the position where we are tempted by A, B, C, D, E, and F again. There's no real sorrow over it. True repentance is marked by a deep and a godly sorrow because we know that our sins have offended the holy God who created the heavens and earth. It it works itself out in a hatred for the sin and the temptations that bring us to the point of that sin. The author of Psalm 130 says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. And then he offers God praise for redemption from sin. We see dust pointing us to the reality of hardship and sadness in this world and also pointing us to the reality that there should be a sorrow for sin in our lives. But which one is the psalmist in Psalm 119 referencing here? It's a great question. And there's not a whole lot of agreement in scholars and commentators over this. Some say that since dust is linked to death, which awaits us all, The psalmist must be sorrowful over his death or his circumstances or or maybe even someone else's death. Others say that since dust and ashes are signs of sorrow and sadness over sin, the psalmist must be struggling with some besetting sin in his life. There may be a contextual clue in that he is always calling for God to lead him to the word so that he may live a holy life. But 18th century pastor and author William Plummer reminds us that sorrows rarely come alone, singly. Let's say that sorrow has come to your life because of a loss of a friendship. Maybe that friend has betrayed you and that that has grown a deep sadness in your heart. But how did you react to that betrayal? I know how I want to react when I've been betrayed, and it's usually in kind. If somebody is mean to me, I am not only going to be just as mean to them, but I am likely, not likely, I am tempted to amp it up, to one-up them in their meanness so that we then go back and forth in this battle of who can be the most mean to the other person. So the betrayal has caused a sadness, And my own sinful reaction has caused a sadness as well. And so the reality is here that the the, the psalmist is laid low in the dust. His soul is weary, is liquefied with sorrow, likely because of this tangled web of combined actions and reactions that have brought him to the point of realizing that he has been sinned against or maybe he is lost. And he has responded sinfully as well. And his prayer in the midst of this sorrow, in the midst of the depths of woe, is to preserve or to strengthen, we see at the second half of 25 and the second half of 28, preserve my life, strengthen me according to your word. We'll look a little, in a little few minutes at some of the deceitful, the deceitfulness of some of the ways that we seek relief from our sadness. But the the psalmist overarching prayer in the midst of his sadness is that God would work in such a way that he would be strengthened and revived in the midst of that sadness. 
according to God's will. God, meet me as you will, not as I want, but as you will to strengthen me and relieve me from my sadness. He fills out this call for God to meet him according to God's will in verse 26 and 27. He says, I recounted my ways and you answered me. He went to God with his sadness. Notice he didn't say I gutted it up. I, I, I stuffed the emotions so that I looked calm and collected on the outside. He says, I, I recounted my ways. And the implication there is I recounted everything to God. What do we do with it, with our, with our negative emotions when they come upon us? When we're tempted to sin through anger or tempted to sin through sadness, do we cry out like David did in Psalm 22? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or do we just go to God and say, take this away. Without being honest with him about how we feel. God knows how you feel. Don't get me wrong. He knows when you're trying to stuff your emotions. He knows when you're trying to handle it yourself and just be the, the brave little soldier who's going to muscle through this sadness and wipe the tears away. But he also wants you to come to him with those tears, with that sadness, and to be honest with him about the feelings. In Psalm 88, the psalmist the, the unknown psalmist gives us clues that he has been struggling for a long time with some type of chronic health issue. The end of Psalm 88 is, God, why have you made darkness my only friend? How honest are you? How honest am I with God when we suffer, when we struggle, when we feel the depths of woe deep within our heart? The psalmist says, I recounted everything to you. And then joy of all joys, you answered me. One author I've read who, who struggles with anxiety says one of the most comforting things that, he, that, that happens to him is that God reveals, even in the midst of one of the worst, some of the worst anxiety attacks he can have, God reveals to him, hey, look, I know. I'm close and I know. The unchangeable God of the universe. I mean, look back at our catechism question today. What is God? He is infinite. He is eternal. He is unchangeable in his being, in his wisdom, in his power, in his holiness, in his justice, in his goodness, and in his truth. That God knows. He hears and he answers even in the midst of deep sadness. And then the psalmist repeats for us, even in the midst of deep sadness, the same prayer that he has prayed so far and that he will continue to pray throughout the rest of the psalm. Teach me, let me understand your way, your laws, your precepts. And then he gives us the second solution to his sadness, which is meditation on the wonders of God. There's a temptation when we suffer with sadness or, or negative emotions. There is a temptation to just kind of curve in on ourselves. I'm sad, I'm depressed, and I just want to be alone. Turn out the light, pull the covers over your head, and just sit there alone. But the psalmist says, no, 
Meditate on God's wonders. What are God's wonders? Well, there's wonders of creation and there's wonders of salvation. I think one of the best advice I gave after I lost my father, after I'd kind of been feeling sorry for myself for a while, somewhat rightly so, somebody said, go take a walk. Get outside. Walk around. And what do you see when you get outside and walk around? You can go down to the Greenbrier River Trail. You can see the river and the trees, which will be budding and blooming soon. You can walk around out in your front yard and just look around and see whatever flowers or plants you have in your garden or the mountains out on the horizon. Or if you go early enough in the morning or late enough in the evening, you can see the sun come up or the sun set. And as you see those things, you are reminded with just the mere power of his voice, God brought all that stuff into existence. And there's a God who is powerful out there that not only brought everything into existence, but keeps everything together. That hears and knows what you are going through and will answer when you come to pray to him. It's the wonders of creation that reminds us of who God is. But we should also consider the wonders of salvation. That's what the psalmist did in Psalm 130. As we read earlier, he opened up with, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are to be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. When you you are dealing with sorrow over sin, we consider the wonders of salvation, that the second person of the Trinity came to this earth to live on this earth to die in the place of sinners, to be raised again so that those who believe can have eternal life. That is the wonder of salvation in the midst of sin. And even after you are his child, even after you have put your faith and hope in the work of Jesus, when we stumble, when we fall, that status of child never changes. That is a wonder, brothers and sisters, because when I'm betrayed, My temptation is to sever a relationship. When God is betrayed by his children, he doubles down on his love and on his grace. And so the psalmist goes to God with out of the depths, with his sadness, seeking God to teach him from his word holiness so that he can then meditate on the works and the wonders of God in creation and in salvation. This last half, the last four verses of the passage, verses 29 through 32, tell us what happens when the psalmist goes to God with that prayer. Now, before he tells us what happens, which will be surprising for most of us, what he tells us what happens here, he he gives a couple more requests of God. He says, number one, keep me from deceitful ways and be gracious to me through your law. I have chosen the way of truth I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, O Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. When it comes to sadness 
and difficulty in this world, even if we're honest with God and we go to him and pray and ask him to heal us, to revive us according to his word and according to his will, we don't always like the way that God chooses to act in our life. He takes too long sometimes, or so we think. Or he doesn't answer in the way we want to be answered. Because when I'm in the depths of sorrow, I just want the hurt to go away. I want relief. And so sometimes if God doesn't answer the way I want him to, we go to the world. And we say, what will you give me to help give me relief from my sorrow? And those things lie. Those things may give relief for a short period of time. But ultimately they lie and they fail. And then the psalmist says in verse 31, or in verse 30, he says, rather than choosing deceitful ways, I choose truthful ways. Way there is the same word. I have turned my back on the deceit of the world. I have chosen you. I have set my heart on your laws. Be gracious to me through that law. Do we think about God's law as a relief for sadness? Often we don't. Oftentimes we think about God's law as just more pain and agony on top of more of top of the pain and agony we have because oh not only am I sad but I've got to act like a good Christian. The law being shorthand for all of God's word is a relief in times of sadness. Why? Because it doesn't just reveal to us how we live, but it reveals to us how God has acted on our behalf when we fail in how we are to live. It does remind us, as the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, that every temptation, every trial that you and I experience, he has experienced, Jesus has experienced, and yet without sin, He has been sad. He has been depressed. And yet he did not sin in those things and then gave us his righteousness through the cross and through the resurrection so that we might have life, so that those who believe in him might have life and have it eternal and abundant. God's word is a grace to those who suffer sadness. And then he echoes the laid low, the hold fast. In verse 31, it says, I hold fast to your statutes, O Lord. If you read that in, excuse me, if you read this portion in the English Standard Version, you will see in verse 25, it says, I cling to the dust. And in verse 31, it says, I cling to your statutes, O Lord. The ESV translated that way because the same word that's translated, I am laid low in verse 25 and the NIV And I hold fast in verse 31 in the NIV. It's the same word. And it means cling. It means hold on to tightly. It's the the leave your father and mother and cleave verb that we have in Genesis chapter 2. He is clinging to the dust. And yet at the same time, he is clinging to God's statutes, hoping that even though he is in the depths of woe, that God will not put him to shame. Because God has promised not to put him to shame. Peter in John 6, Peter is asked by Jesus after a whole bunch of people leave Jesus. Peter, uh, Jesus says, are, are y'all going to leave too? 
And Peter says, where else could we go? It's only you that have the words of life. What else are you and I going to cling to? Because it is only in the scriptures that Jesus gives us the words of life, that God gives us the words of life. And then in verse 32, the psalmist reveals to us God's response. And I want us to see as we we consider verse 32 here for just a moment, notice that the psalmist does what the psalmist does not say. The psalmist says, I run in the paths of your commands for you have set my heart free. He does not explicitly say, you've taken my sadness away. In the context of his sadness, God has set his heart free. And so he will run in the paths of your commands. When you struggle under deep sadness, do you feel the urge to run? Or if you do, do you feel the urge to run in God's commands? Typically we don't, and yet the psalmist finds great freedom in God, in the commands of God, in the holiness of God, as he clings both to the word of God and to the dust in which he finds himself in. John Calvin gives us the reason for this as he talks about the prayer that the psalmist gives, not only in this passage, but in the rest of Psalm 119. And he gives us four categories that prayer does for the psalmist and does for you and I that bring us freedom even in the midst of deep sadness. The first thing he says is that prayer is a cry for assistance, an admission that we cannot do this on our own. Now, if you were to get a peek into some of my prayers, a lot of my prayers sound like this. Lord, I got this. I just wanted to let you know about it so that if you had a little bit extra time on your hands, maybe you could come help. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is you and I going to God and saying, look, I can't handle this. There is no hope for me unless you show up. Unless you meet me in this. And and it can be anything. It doesn't have to be the depth of sadness. Anything in our life, prayer is an admission that, God, you're the only one who has this. If you don't show up, I'm going to either royally mess it up. No, that's about it. I'm going to royally mess this up. Prayer is a declaration that you and I are at the end of our rope and there's no hope if God doesn't hear and answer. Secondly, prayer shows a dependence on God's providence. That's why we give gratitude in our prayers. That's why we thank God even for the things that bring us difficulty in our life. If you take an opportunity to read Psalm 16 later, the psalmist wraps it up with this declaration that God will not abandon the psalmist to the grave. Why would the psalmist declare that God will not abandon him to the grave? Likely because he's fearful that that's where he's headed in his life at that moment is to the grave. But earlier in the psalm, he says, God, you have put my lines in pleasant places. My path has led me to a pleasant place that involves the danger of dying. That's what prayer does for us. It, it, it allows us to depend that God has brought us to this situation for his sovereign and glorious purpose. How do we thank God for the things that bring us anxiety and sadness in our lives? By realizing that he has led us there for his good and glorious purpose. 
He not only leads us to the green pastures and the still waters, but he is there walking with us, leading us through the valleys, the valleys of the shadow of death. So prayer is a declaration, a cry of assistance. It shows our dependence on God's providence, and it's a commitment of your life and plans to the sovereignty of God. James 4, 13 through 17 teaches that we are to make plans according to the will of God. James says, many of you go to the city and you say, tomorrow I'm going to do this or that. But you forget God's sovereignty and you forget to pray that I will do this tomorrow if God wills. I think oftentimes guys struggle with sadness because we are, have, a, have a tendency to be very goal-oriented. And we, we have goals, we have places that we want to be in our life and in our family. And, and oftentimes we put those goals in such firm concrete that when we are unable to meet those goals, we get so hyper disappointed that that deep and dark sadness creeps in. And the reason for that is we forget to put those goals in the concrete of God's sovereignty and instead place them in the concrete of our desires. Fourthly, prayer centers our affections upon God. You know, it's hard if you're truly praying as the examples of the scripture are given to us, both in the Psalms and the New Testament. It's hard to not have your desires changed, your affections changed, to change away from our glory and our wants and our needs and to be placed on God's glory and God's wants and God's will. Like meditating on the wonders of God, prayer takes a focus off of the sorrow and places it on God and his work. And it's the midst of this type of prayer that the psalmist finds freedom even in the midst of his sadness. A freedom that is a cry of utter dependence. A freedom that is a declaration of God's good providence. A a freedom that is found in knowing that God is sovereign over whatever happens to us. And a freedom that allows our heart to be changed and our desires to be focused on God rather than on ourselves. And so when sorrow comes upon us, we are called in this passage to prayerfully and humbly pursue God, to meditate on his wonders, and to pray. Many of us today struggle with a deep sorrow that has just set its talons into our hearts. We are face down, clinging to the dust. Our psalmist today calls us to, while we are clinging to dust, to cling to God as well. When you find yourself in that situation, you know what? Take a walk and pay attention to the glories of God, both in salvation and in creation. And find the rest that you can only find in knowing that he is God and you are not. And then don't just stop there. Pray that God would revive you and strengthen you according to his will so that you might find the freedom that he offers even in the midst of deep sadness. And know that as you give that prayer that God hears, God answers, and God knows, and he will draw near to you. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for the promises that are here, that your children can come to you in utter dependence, knowing that you are good, knowing that you will answer. 
Lord, give us the strength to do that. For those of us who do struggle with sadness and difficulty today, I ask that you would strengthen and revive them. Help them to seek the help that you offer both in this world and in your word, a help that honors and glorifies you according to your will. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Also, as you go this week, please take this blessing upon you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.